Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi there, and welcome to a really exciting interview episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. I'm Jamie Hampton, and I'm here with Leslie Strobel, who is the co-author of the book, Surviving a Spiritual Mismatch. And she's also the inspiration behind her husband, Lee Strobel's best-selling book, The Case for Christ. Um, and you may even have seen their story depicted in the film of the same name, The Case for Christ. Um, but on today's episode, we're going to be sitting down with Leslie to talk about how to pray when you find yourself in a spiritually mismatched marriage. So Leslie, thank you so very much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me, Jamie. It's good to be here. What I really have loved about this book, and I, I shared with you before we started recording, is that even if you're not married or even in a romantic relationship, the topics in this book, Surviving a Spiritual Mismatch, are applicable to all kinds of relationships. And I think even at the end, you have kind of a um, summary of different areas, whether it's um, relationships within the church where you're kind of mismatched or if you're in a dating relationship or other kinds of friendships that, that you find yourselves not in agreement. There's so many just great, great um, nuggets of wisdom that, that we can apply. So for our listeners, if you're, even if you're not married, this is going to be a very relevant interview. So we just encourage you to stick with us. <laughs> Um, so we like to start our just for with a just for fun question. And what I've been asking in our interviews lately ha has been the same question because I've been excited to hear all the different answers. So Leslie, what is your favorite prayer closet? Honestly, my favorite prayer closet is my office in our home here in Texas. I have my own office, which I haven't always had in previous homes. And a really comfy chair that we had in a previous home's family room is now in my office. It's just um, cushy, big old chair with an afghan that I don't get to use so often in Houston, but even in the winter, I can use it here. And I look out over the yard that is nice and green and pretty, and I just feel nature's call to me when I'm uh, sitting there and doing a quiet time. So that's kind of the place I resort to, but I'm happy in a car or just about anywhere when I feel led to pray, but on a daily basis, it's, it's my office. That is, that's the best of both worlds, though. You can be inside in a comfy chair near nature. <laughs> that's right. Cup of coffee or tea, and I'm good. <laughs> I think that is, you know, that's funny that you say that, because I think that for me is kind of, I equate coffee with quiet time, and I, I think there's something connected there where I just, I really do love just having my coffee and, and having time with God. I think it represents space to breathe, you know, and time set apart to actually be able to sit down, drink your coffee and then spend time with God. So it's yeah. ceremonial, you know, it's, it's yeah. a little routine that you do that just gets you settled and sort of grounded. Yeah. 
Well, today we are, we're going to be talking about Surviving a Spiritual Mismatch, which is the book that you co-authored with your husband, Lee. And specifically, because this is the Praying Christian Women podcast, we're, we're going to be talking specifically about the role that prayer plays in surviving a spiritually mismatched relationship or marriage. Um, so before we jump into that, could you kind of give us a picture of what your life looked like? Because for those of you that, for those out there that don't know your story, that aren't familiar with, with um, the case for Christ, the movie or, or your story of Lee coming to the Lord, um, can you give us a picture of what life was like before either of you had become believers? Sure. Well, you know, Lee and I met when we were in high school, freshman year. So we were 14 years old. So we were really just kids. And neither one of us were believers. So we just had a lot of fun together. We were had groups of friends that we hung out with. And uh, so until we got married, uh, which was when I was 19 and Lee was 20, um, we really, God just didn't play a role in our lives. Now, I believed in God in an ethereal sense, but I didn't have any kind of relationship with him. And Lee was basically an atheist by the time uh, he got to college. So, um, you know, that's where we were at spiritually. So, and so at what point, how many years into your marriage did you first start thinking about spiritual things or start thinking about the God of the Bible? Actually, I hadn't really thought about it that much until we I met a friend. We had just moved, and I met um, a woman a nurse named Linda. In the movie, she's portrayed as a woman named Alfie, but um, she became a significant person in my life because she was a believer and didn't hold back talking about things of Christ. And so this was just a part of her personality. And as becoming good friends with her, I just, it was natural for her to talk about a church and her relationship and the Bible studies that she was doing. And so I, it allowed me to ask questions about all that. And that's where my interest first started, which was about, uh, let's see, seven years into the marriage. Yeah. So you had a pretty steady, it's not like this was right out the gate of being married. You guys had established a routine, right? established what life was like. And had you had children at that point? Uh, Yes. So we had um, our daughter by that time. Okay. So, and this kind of leads me to a question I'm curious about is how closely did the movie portray real life? I know there were some details that were different, but was it, were you involved quite a bit in the making of the movie? Well, we were involved to the sense that we, they were very good about letting us have um, kind of say on whether we liked or disliked stuff that they were doing. They wouldn't always change it, but they wanted to make us happy. So they were really great in that sense. They followed our life very closely. I'd say the movie's a about 85% accurate. And where it isn't accurate was really a matter of money and how to portray the reality in a movie setting. So for instance, the the scene where Allison, our daughter, is choking in the restaurant, Mm -hmm. they had to show a way of showing the emotional and spiritual upheaval I was going through. Because what happened is we lost Allison in an amusement park. 
and they couldn't rent out an amusement park and start, you know, they just didn't have the money for the film to show that. So they used an emotional uh, situation of her choking and, and possibly dying to show what I was going through, mm -hmm. that, that fear and anxiety and what are we going to do? And then this nurse, Alfie, comes along and basically rescues her. And here she is a Christian and says, you know, she just happened to be at this restaurant because God told her to be there. It was that kind of situation that they needed to use to show how I became interested in the things of Christ. Um, but it was going through losing Allison in, a, in an amusement park that actually brought me to that interest. And was that, did, did your Christian friend intervene in some way at the amusement park or was that just kind of where you were, where you had been, you know, shaken? Right. That's where I was shaken, right. but I knew her at that point and went home and talked to her about it. Okay. So, you know, it was, she was there for me, but she wasn't at the amusement park. So looking back on that time when you became more open to spiritual things, are you aware of any prayers from other people? I'm, I'm guessing that your friend was praying for you. Right. I mean, are you aware of any other prayers that were going on for you? Behind? You know, if I'm sure Linda had a prayer group from her church that were praying. Mm -hmm. I'm not truly aware. It was later in life that I started thinking about my own family history. I never knew any of my grandparents. They all died when I was either a baby or before I was born. But I know that my mother's parents were very strong Christians and had a very strong lay ministry at the church. My grandfather used to fill in for the pastor often. Um, so it would not surprise me at all that they were praying for their future grandchildren. And that really struck me one time when I was praying for my future grandchildren, mm -hmm. that there was probably a grandparent of mine praying for me at some point. And that was really poignant for me to think about, but I don't know it for sure, but I suspect it, it was true. I love that. And Alana, my co-host, who's not with us today, but um, she, she and I have talked before and have done episodes on prayer legacies and right. how, powerful it is to be praying for your future generations. And I think that's really encouraging um, that just to think, I mean, now, were you raised in a Christian home or not? No, not really. My mother was a believer. My father was not. And she uh, was from Scotland, was a war bride, didn't drive. So my dad called the shots with the car and where we were going and church wasn't his location on a Sunday morning. Right. But my mother prayed with me when she put me to bed, she'd sing hymns. But she didn't have a real personal relationship with Christ. It was a very private thing. And she really didn't help me get a hold of who Christ was. Because for me, growing up, Christ was just this baby in a manger, and I honestly didn't know beyond the Christmas story how that all fit in. And I just think that's really encouraging for us to see that even though maybe in your home, you know, if your grandparents were praying, you may not have had, your mother may not have been able to take you to church, and, and your grandmother probably didn't see the fruit of her prayers, but for all right. of us just to know like those seeds are being planted and we may not see them in this life, but God is working and just That's in right. amazing ways. So I love that. I love that, yeah. that you were able to go back and kind of uncover that. Right. So when you 
when you did become a Christian, um, when you actually committed your life to Christ, um, I know I'm skipping a lot here, but we have so much to cover. And I would really, in, I, a lot of this story is told in great detail in the book, it, in probably multiple books, but definitely in um, in the book that we're discussing today, um, Surviving a Spiritual Mismatch. But when you did become a Christian, how did you go about telling Lee? And was there, I mean, I can only imagine after seven years (laughs) of like, this is our life and, you know, no surprises. Um, and, And what role did prayer play in that decision to tell him and how you went about telling him? Right. I did put it off for a while. I was scared to death to tell him because I knew he would be angry about it. Um, I, you know, praying about it as a new believer, I just kept praying that he wouldn't be mad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But when I eventually did tell him, I just one evening said, Lee, I just need you to know I've been seeking out questions about God and Linda's been answering them for me. And I really feel like the pieces of this puzzle have come together for me and I've accepted Christ as my savior. Um, At that point, he just sort of laughed and said, well, good for you. You know, if you need that crutch, you go right ahead, but don't expect me to have anything to do with it. Don't ask me to go to church. I just don't want anything to do with it. And he just sort of let it lie there. And uh, it wasn't all that horrible or traumatic at that point. He just wanted to drop it. It was in the ensuing weeks and months where things got a good deal more heated. Well, probably when he realized that this was going to stick, you know, maybe at first he thought, I think even in your book, he says something like, you know, when you're in a relationship and someone comes at you with something life changing like this, sometimes we think, well, you know, maybe this is a phase, maybe it'll pass kind of like a new diet or exercise regimen or something. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so what, what would you say were the direct immediate effects on your marriage when he began to realize that this was not just a phase, but a life change for you? Well, once he started seeing and hearing how I wanted to make changes in our life, how I wanted, or he hear me praying with the kids at night or at, you know, saying some grace with the children, I wouldn't have even tried with him at the table, but if he was in the other room and I was feeding the kids early and saying grace, or he'd see me doing Bible study as he witnessed my involvement, things really did get difficult. He started asking uh, probing questions, not for answers, but just like, what, what's wrong with you? Why would you waste your time with this? Don't you know it's a crutch? He became hostile. He was pretty um, mocking and belittling, um, a lot of condescension. So, you know, that it just started to slowly over time ramp up, ramp up to where there was this constant um, tension that ran through our relationship. And I have to tell you, this is where I am able to see how God works because in my own humanness and my own personality, before I was a believer, that would make me dig in my heels and draw a line in the sand and make sure that I was going to win any kind of argument. But what God did and what ultimately spoke to Lee was that in those situations, God would speak to me in that voice that unless you've had it, you don't know, but you can tell it's God. 
in your heart, in your inner being. And he would say things like, Leslie, you're the Christian now. You cannot expect Lee to act or be something that he cannot be without the Holy Spirit's interaction. He doesn't have that, but you do. And you're required to act at a higher standard. And so in those situations, I would sense him saying, you use peaceful methods. You reach out. You be the peacemaker. And when I wanted to lash out with everything I had in me, that voice would be telling me, no, reach out, tell him you love him, even though I want to tell him I'd like to kick him out. Um, you know, it was this constant battle of my will and the Holy Spirit saying, nope, that's not the way to be. And there was that year and two, well, nearly two year period while Lee was in this, trying to figure out what was going on with me and if God was real, where I was in a constant push and pull with the Holy Spirit on how I was to respond with each difficult situation that Lee and I had. And I imagine that that is a lot of pressure in one sense, because I think, and and I want you to talk about this because I know you do talk about it in the book. um, And I have heard women express this kind of frustration. Um, What would you say to the woman who's in a relationship with someone that is not a believer or even openly hostile to the faith and who is number one feeling how difficult it is and and struggling with feelings of resentment struggling with Mm -hmm. feeling at listening to the holy spirit and maybe lashing back and making those mistakes and then coming back and feeling guilt and condemnation like what am I doing? His salvation is in my hands and I'm blowing it. (laughs) What would you say to that woman? Well, the first thing I'd say is his salvation is not in your hands. It is in God's hands. And that is when, when you get to that realization and it took me a while and Linda was instrumental in helping me recognize that I had to extricate myself from feeling like the only way Lee was going to know Jesus was through me she just kept reiterating it is not your job it is not your responsibility it's he knows what he needs to believe you know the things have been laid out for him he knows what he has to do to come to Christ don't you worry about it you keep growing and allow God to make you who God wants you to be and you lovely to the best you're able knowing that you're going to have times where you fail just tell God you're sorry and get back in the game and be the most loving, supportive wife you can be and trust that God is going to do what he's going to do in his good time. And I never dreamt that it would only be two years, even though it felt like a lifetime. I really thought Lee would be a deathbed conversion if I was fortunate enough to see it happen then. Mm-hmm. Um, God used what God was doing in me to speak to Lee and the tracks that I left in Lee's socks and the Bible verses I wrote on the mirror never did anything but aggravate him. But the fact that I was changing in ways that I wasn't even aware of were speaking to Lee because I wasn't fighting back in arguments. I was reaching out and trying to be a peacemaker. And I, I was just doing things that were so contrary to my normal personality that it was Lee saying, how on earth is she doing this? What has changed? How is it she's changed? What's caused her to change? And in part, that was what got him to look into the claims of Christ. 
And I think that is so powerful. And this is one of those lessons that's applicable in all relationships with, with, with people that are unsaved is that all of your efforts that were the things that you thought you needed to do in your own power, leaving the tracts, writing the Bible verses, you know, um, right. whatever, those were not, not to say that God doesn't prompt us to do things like that at times, but all of these things that, you know, our human wisdom would think, oh, we've got to keep pushing it. We've got to keep presenting the gospel over and over. We've got to keep showing verses. We've got to keep pointing. But it was, those were not the things that no. transformed him. And obviously, if he didn't know anything about it, if you had never said any of those things, he wouldn't know about them. But once you've presented them, it was your transformed life that was the most influential thing in him coming to Christ. And I mean, and that's biblical. I mean, that's biblical right. when it talks about by your, I, I, and I won't quote it correctly, but you might, um, <laughs> basically the, when, when a, a by wife, your fruits, you will know them. Basically. Yeah. And, and that, you know, the wife of an unbelieving husband, it's by your, your quiet submission, by your example that, that you're going to be drawing him. To exactly. Yourself. Yeah. That's right. I, in the book also, though, there's another caveat, which is there are no guarantees. Right. And so it's, I mean, my, my personal belief is that if God has placed you in the life of someone that's a non-believer, that it's for a reason. And yes, we need to pray like we've never prayed before. And we've got to assume that God is working for a reason in this person's life, but there are no guarantees. And just that letting go moment of has had to be so freeing for you of his salvation is not in my hands. It's, it's freeing in one sense. It's daunting in another, because in your own humanness and in your own mind, I know I was thinking he's never going to, he's just never going to bend his knee to, to Christ. This is going to be my life forever until death do us part. And that was daunting, but yet I had such great support and um, I felt God calling me to make the best of what we had because we, we were so happy before I became a Christian. I mean, as two unbelievers, we were really happy and we had a great marriage. And so it was really just building on that and recognizing that I just needed, like you say, to let go, to quit trying and just where I was able to make the marriage as happy as I could. And again, that even in that, that spoke to Lee. I want you, can you share a little bit more about that, about the things that you chose to do to support some of what you, well, uh, what we now know from reading the book, we know are some of Lee's insecurities. Could you address what some of Lee's insecurities were and how you identified those and address those just in practical ways in your marriage? Right. Well, you know, partly, and it just sounds silly, but he felt like he was in competition with God for my attention. I mean, he was really feeling like it was, I was making a choice and it was either him or God and I chose God. So right away he was slighted and, and so almost out of the marriage. He was afraid that I didn't respect him uh, because of his not being a believer. And so he just assumed I, 
I looked down on him. He was afraid that the things that we had enjoyed doing together, I wouldn't want to do anymore. Um, he imagined if you were a Christian that you just, I don't know, I don't know how he figured families have children. I think he figured you didn't have sex anymore. You just, I mean, I just had all these crazy ideas that I was just going to work at the soup kitchen for the rest of my life and he'd never see me again. I mean, it was nuts. So, you know, he just had a whole lot of um, misinformation and fear. And it wasn't until, you know, we were able to just talk through some of these and then him actually see that I was happy to do life as we'd been doing it. It was just that I wanted to include him in some of what I had been learning about scripture and how it was enhancing my life. But, you know, the one thing I remember in particular, I was all excited because at church they were going to be doing a new um, series that I really wanted to hear and I was planning on going and then he comes home that Thursday after work and wants to go up to Wisconsin we were at Chicago at the time and a good weekend place was going up to Wisconsin he wanted to do that and the minute he said it I just thought no I'm not going I'm going to go to church and then I heard that little voice say you go with him you go and and that's what you would have done normally God doesn't need you at church. I know where your heart is. And that was the reinforcement I kept getting is God kept telling me, I don't need your money. I don't need you at church. I need you to confirm your love and support for your husband. And it didn't make sense to me, but it was such a strong sense uh, that I did those things. And it was, you know, by God's grace because he used those sorts of things to Lee. I love that. And I think actually Lee even says in the book that he thought of Jesus as the other man. Yeah. And he actually felt like you were being unfaithful to him with right. Jesus until you showed him that he was your husband and that you loved him. And um, I think it's that's why it's so important to be open to the Holy Spirit because isn't that amazing that I mean, God revealed to you the specific things without him sharing the, well, maybe he did share, but the Holy Spirit revealed exactly what things Lee needed from you. And they might be different for someone listening. You right. know, their husband's needs might be different. These, exactly. And, and, but God will meet you there and show you, and they might seem to be contrary to the things that you think you need to do or take a stand on or whatever. So I, I just think that's so amazing and just so like God to do that. Yep. Well, um, so what would you say were a couple of your top lessons that you learned Uh, you shared a couple of things that you did right? And were there any things that you did wrong that later you look back and think, that you learned from and maybe didn't repeat again or that you could share as some of your lessons that you've learned along the way? You know, honestly, I just pretty much what I've talked about, I think it was more than anything, just uh, trying to keep things going at home in as much a normal, in Lee's eyes, normal way we could. And, uh, trying to help him feel love and respected because he was convinced that I didn't love and respect him. And so as much as I was able for Lee, that's what he needed. And those, that's what the lessons were for me was just really 
focusing my attention on Lee and helping him to be my husband and the head of our home and to not let him feel slighted in any way. Mm-hmm. Well, how did your prayers for Lee look during those years that he wasn't a believer? You said it was a couple of years, but I'm sure things changed. Did did those prayers evolve over time or was it kind of, did you have a set way that you prayed for him over and over? I know there's a scripture that, right. that you can share that you sure. prayed over him. Before that particular scripture, I was just praying for God to open Lee's heart or for him to not be angry in certain situations that I knew were coming up or, you know, to go to church with me, just a variety of things that I was wanting God to answer. But then this one day, um, Linda shared the verse Ezekiel 36, 26 from the Old Testament, which says that moreover, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take your stony heart of sin and give it a heart of, give you a heart of flesh. And that just, when she gave me that verse, it was like, that's what he needs. He needs a new heart. He needs his stoniness to be melted. So I just, took that up and Linda took it up and the Bible study that I was in, we were all praying that every day. And honestly, there were days I was praying it minute by minute for him. And um, I believe God answered that prayer, obviously. Yeah. I think at that point in the movie, I was crying. That was just a really powerful part of the, of the movie and of your story in general. And it, mm-hmm. and, and it is just so, uh, I mean, that's such an applicable scripture to pray. Yeah, it is. So can you share any direct or specific answers to prayer that you were praying for Lee? Little, I I know that when we're praying for anyone, we need to be looking for these tiny movements of God. Were there any direct or specific answers to prayer during those years that he was not a believer? You know, I can't think of any little things here and there. Actually, the bigger, there was one that is just so memorable to me. We were having a fun drive for a new building at our church. I desperately wanted to give to that. And I knew there was no way Lee was going to give any money to the church because we, he would just wouldn't do it. And so I prayed that God would allow me somehow to be able to give to this building fund. And I was looking through the newspaper in the ads for jobs. I found a job that you could do from home with kids when they're taking their nap. It was this cold calling for businesses, sort of this thing for businesses. I barely even remember what it was. I signed up to do it. I told Lee that I had. And he was saying, great, that's fantastic. You know, this is money we can use for savings or going on trips. And I told him, well, actually, I want to use it for the building fund. And of course, he got really angry. But I thought, well, I'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So I went ahead and started this little job and did it for a few months. And in the end, uh, I, I got this paycheck. And it was for an amount I had been praying for. I wanted to give it. And at my friend Linda, again, she said, Leslie, you're going to have to have Lee's permission. You cannot give that to the church without him agreeing. I said, well, all right, then please pray with me that he will say yes. So when I told him, he said, there's no way. There's no way. That's ridiculous. We're going to use that money. I'm putting it in savings. So I said, well, please just think about it. Get For two or three days, just think about it. Well, I'll think about it, but don't count on anything. That's just stupid. Well, the second day he comes home from work, looks at me, and he says, I don't know why I'm 
even saying this, but if you want to give that, go ahead, give that to the church. And I was so excited. And the amount that I wanted to give, that was what the check was for. Well, I said, okay, I'm putting that check in for the church. Great. The next day, the business I'm working for calls me and tells me that they had made a mistake in their bookkeeping and that they back owed me three times the amount. Oh my goodness. And when I told Lee that, he just looked at me and I said, can you believe it? God's allowed me to not only give the church money, but to put that money and then some in our savings. And he just, his mouth kind of opened and he, he had nothing to say and he walked out of the room. But that ended up being kind of one of those defining moments for him where he thought maybe God actually does work in lives. That was a huge thing for us. Well, and I think that brings us to a really important topic that, that this book also addresses, which is the importance of a mentor and not just any mentor, but one that's going to give you godly counsel because there are some people that would have told you, oh yeah, girl, that's your money. Take it. Right. Do what you want right. with it, you know? And so can you talk about how, how important was having a mentor in your life during this time? Well, for me, it was hugely important because I was just, a, I mean, she led me to the Lord. I had no one. She was it. <laughs> if Linda hadn't been there, I would have been floundering. And that isn't to say that the Holy Spirit, who was very active in my life, wouldn't have been able to steer me to do the right things. But honestly, her shoulder to cry on, her ear to burn when I was angry, she was there for all of that as a listener and an absorber of my frustration. But she was this wisdom for me that would never allow it to become her and me against Lee, but always pointing me in the end to do what scripturally is the best thing and what God would have me do biblically in any given situation. And so, you know, honestly, I know this is a huge want for a lot of women and there aren't a lot of people necessarily out there that you can call on. I think you need to just keep praying for a mentor that is wise beyond her years, is mature in the faith. And I pray for every woman that wants that, that would they'd be able to somehow find that. I was blessed. I know it isn't something that a lot of women have, but I, it's, it's really needed. And I'm praying more and more that churches will provide um, godly, more mature Christian women in the churches to be that for our younger moms and, and younger women, because I think that whole discipler, disciple-y kind of relationship is wonderful for young moms to have the older mom, um, particularly when they've been in the Lord a long time, just to have that Christian ear and guidance there for, uh, for you. Yeah, it was a huge, important player for me, and, and I don't know what I would have done without Linda. Are you still, is, is she still in your life? She is. Well, she lives um, quite a distance away and has for a number of years. And we still speak not as often as we used to. When she moved um, away from me, it was traumatic. And we both felt so sad and where there were a lot of tears. But she said, and I just said at the time, I don't know how I'm going to do life without you. And she said, Leslie, we and you are in a strong place. God wants you now to become the woman for someone else. You need to be a mentor for someone, which I did for years. 
But um, she said, you know, I can't be this for you forever. Uh, she said, I need to move on and you need to move on. And I think that's true. You know, you can't stay the child forever. You have to grow and become an adult. And so, you know, God did that and we're dear friends still. Um, but, we're, you know, it's not like how it used to be for sure. Oh. Yeah, no, I, I think that is that it's important no matter what your relationship is, no matter what kind of marriage you're in or whether you're married or not. I, I do think mentorship is so important. And I yeah. Do too. yeah, well, another thing that I'm sure women are interested to hear about is navigating parenting when you're spiritually mismatched is huge. Mm -hmm. And I know in every relationship, it looks different. How did that look for you and Lee? And, and what advice would you give for someone raising kids with a partner who is, doesn't condone their faith or, you know, won't allow them to go to church or even teach biblical um, principles in their home? What are right. some, some pointers you can give? Right. You know, Lee, the one thing that Lee was open to, and frankly, most people would be open to, is when you just look at good morals, take God out of the picture, but just how we want our children to be as we're raising them. We want them to be honest. We want them to be kind. We want them to be um, caring about people and um, hardworking. So many of the principles are biblical. And so just to be able to do that in and of itself is helpful. And I do think when you are alone with your kids, they need to know it, it, it's okay for mom or dad, because you could be a man married to a non-believing woman, that you don't necessarily agree on the things of God. This is how dad believes. This is how mom believes. And to share those beliefs, not saying anything against the opposing parent, but to allow them to know that there are differences, just like, you know, parents who might be one is Jewish, one is Catholic, and the kids grow up knowing that those are differences. Um, it's okay to have those differences so that the kids, because we wanted to raise, before we were believers, we had decided we're going to allow our children to make their own decision about what they want to believe. Mm -hmm. And so in one sense, if you think that, then it's only fair to let them know all the options. My option was Jesus. His option was atheism. And so we did have some discussion about that, and I kind of laid it out that way. I said, look at you know, they have a right to know what's out there. This is what they're going to get from me. And he said, well, all right, you know. And he allowed me to take them to church because when I would show him what they were learning in church, a lot of it was, as I had pointed out, how to be honest and all these kind of things. And the, the Bible stories for children are about those principles. And so he thought, well, okay, that's, that's all right. And so it was okay. The one thing he was afraid of is that they were going to be taught to go against anyone who wasn't a believer and to look down on them. And that was the one thing he was afraid of. But when I was able to explain to him that that wasn't at all what I wanted and that they would not be taught that, he was okay with that. So for other people who maybe have even more animosity in the home, I think you do have to tread lightly, but I do think there are ways around it. And children, you know, ask questions. And, when, and they sense uh, what parents 
are going through that my kids picked up on not talking to dad about God. I mean, that was just clear. They knew to talk to me about it and they didn't bring it up with him. I think they are very intuitive. And so you'll have opportunities when you're alone in the car or in the park at the park or whatever with your kids and, and you can maybe field some of their questions or bring up a little something for them. And, I, and I, honestly, I don't think that's being manipulative. I think it's just helping them to know the truth and the truth is going to set them free. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you brought up a really good point in no matter how antagonistic or opposing the the spouse might be toward Christianity, you know, in your case, you never once said negative things or, you know, okay, guys, let's go to church while dad sits around on the couch. You know, it was never that. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, I I would say daddy's staying home, give daddy a, you know, and it was, it was just not a thing. I mean, they didn't think too much about it. Mom and the kids go to church, dad stays home. Mm -hmm. And you know, it really, when it would come up, we just would say, you know, the truth, which was mommy and daddy have differing opinions of church and God, but that's okay. You know, people differ. And then I'd bring up little things that they would have different opinions on with their friends. And, you know, they just were so young that it was not a big deal. Maybe when they would be older, it would have been a bit more of an involved conversation. I didn't have that. Yeah. Well, and I was just wondering, did you involve your children in praying for Lee's salvation or was not that not something? Were they no, I really didn't. I, I would involve them, for instance, if Lee was going to be traveling, then I would say, let's pray for dad's safety and just the kind of normal things that you would pray for someone you loved. Daddy's got a hard thing at work. Let's pray that it goes well. Daddy's doing this. So we would pray for him in those ways, but I would never ask them to pray for his salvation. I just didn't think it was appropriate. Yeah. Well, I think one one really important question that was brought up in the book was um, applicable to anyone, really, in any kind of relationship, but I thought it was really useful, and it was um, in the book called The Most Important Question, and it's just prayerfully looking inward and asking if I, and it, it was really convicting for me, actually, as I was sitting there, because I listened to the audiobook, and as I was sitting there listening to it, it, it just made me really think, if <laughs> I were married to myself, yeah, how would I, how would I feel? Mm-hmm. What would that look like? What would be my frustrations? And um, so why is this question so important? And it was, I think in the book, it was in the context of just an important question to ask in the context of marriage, but was that something that you asked yourself in in your spiritually mismatched marriage, or is that something you came to to ask each ask yourselves independently later on? Actually, Lee uh, had been reading a book by um, Les and Leslie Parrott, uh, great marriage counselors, and that was a question in their book. And he started writing it on the first month uh, or in the first day of each month on his calendar, and he would ask himself that. Um, you know, I do it occasionally, but that's always been sort of his war cry for himself. How would I feel being married to me? And, um, I think that helped particularly when he was still a fairly new believer and, you know, you don't become, none of us are perfect ever, but certainly as a new believer, you still have a lot of your old ways and that, and yeah. 
he started asking himself that to recognize where he needed to grow. And it, it's been really good for him. I think it's good for any of us. It's a good question to ask because we think we've, we're we're perfect until we really look at ourselves and can look back on some interaction we've had with our spouse and you go, yeah, I maybe could have done that better. <laughs> yeah. And I just think in a, in, in a spiritual mismatch, it's gotta be just a really helpful thing to keep you grounded because I think the temptation would be, why isn't he or she going to church? Why, why, right. uh, you know, here I am doing the right thing and being punished for it. And it's always an outward kind of critical mentality. Right. And, and that's where the enemy can get a foothold. And I think that question is just the key to, you know, that whole, don't take the speck out of your neighbor's yes. eye. When you've got a log in your own eye and, and for right. any relationship, whether no matter where you are in your relationship, it's, it's just right. great, um, great insight. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we were running out of time. So I just wanted to close by asking you, what you would say to someone who is right now in the thick of things and feeling like their prayers for their spouse are going nowhere. Um, what would you, what would you say as your advice to them? You know, don't, it's only normal to feel like you are not getting anywhere. Honestly, when Lee actually became a believer, I had no clue that he was that close to having made that decision. I really looked down the road and thought, this is my life for the rest of my life. I just didn't imagine this ever happening any day now kind of thing. And so you never know how God is working in them. You can't know, but, and, and we hear this often. Uh, I can't tell you how many stories we have been told by couples who come up to us where the husband did not show any interest at all in all the wife's prayers for him and trying to lead them. And then out of the blue, something just triggers it and the Holy Spirit grabs their heart and they receive Christ. So hang on to that as some hope. But I also would just say three things. Continue to grow in your relationship with God, allow him to take you to where he wants you to go in your spiritual life and in your ministry and, and wherever you feel God is leading, follow that path. Second, continue to build your marriage. Keep looking back to what it was you loved about your spouse, what it was you did in the early days and what you've always enjoyed doing. Make sure you're still doing those things and build him up and help him to really see that you respect him and love him. Third, to the best that you're able, try to find a mentor or at least a good, solid Christian friend that will respect your privacy, pray with you, help kind of bounce uh, ideas off on how to navigate your situation because you need that support. And it might be if you can find a Bible study, um, some sort of group at church, even just involving yourself at church with other people that are believers that you might find that there's someone who would just be a good friend. Uh, it just helps to have that other ear and that other voice to uh, be able in a trusted way, talk about and talk through what you're going through so that they're praying for you and, and kind of just holding you up before God. I'd say if you are able to do that, you're going to navigate your relationship. Now, having said that, if you're in an abusive situation, God doesn't ask us to stay in an abusive situation. And we would never counsel someone to, to do that. Um, 
get counseling on that, speak to your pastor. But as long as you are in a relationship that is doable and the guy just isn't interested in being becoming a Christian, you can navigate it and you can do it and God will help you through it. Amen. That is good. Very good. Well, Leslie, thank you so much. And um, thank you, Jamie. where can listeners find your book and others by you and Lee? Where can they connect with you? Yeah, there's anything online. There is a really good site called christianbook.com. Uh, but there's also Amazon and any Christian bookstore will have the books. And if they don't have it, they can certainly order them for you. But christianbook.com is a real good resource. Okay. Well, I'm going to close us in prayer, Leslie. So how can we be praying for you? Well, you know, the best thing you can do for us is just pray for safety and travel because we do so much of it and Mm -hmm. that uh, we're just able to continue to reach the lost because that's really Lee's heart. That's, you know, what God had for him. And that's what we're all about. So we're just excited to still, uh, you know, we we were thinking our life was going to be slowing down now that we're in our mid sixties. And then the movie came out and that's now what God has. (laughs) He's got us doing a whole lot more and it's exciting. So, uh, yeah, just prayers for safety and for God using us however he would choose. All right. Thank you so much, Leslie. Thank you. God, we just thank you so much for this time to talk about um, being spiritually mismatched, how to pray for unsaved spouse, and really just how to navigate life and in relationship. God, I just lift up Leslie to you and thank you so much for her wisdom. We thank you for her story and and her willingness to open up and share about a difficult time that just really transformed her life and and Lee's life. And we just pray your blessing on their marriage, God. We ask that you would guide them and direct them to the next steps of what you have for them. We pray your blessing on their family and we pray for safety as they travel. God, we just pray that you would um, preserve their health. I know travel can bring all kinds of other health issues, and we just pray that you would preserve their health and that you would just allow them to reach people for your kingdom and just continue to bring the lost into your fold, God. We just thank you so much for the ministry that you have set out before them. And um, God, we lift up each person listening who has been touched by this interview. God, we pray for... um, just your sustaining power and grace. We pray for encouragement. We pray for renewal and refreshment where there's weariness and um, feelings of of despair or um, doubt of your work in their lives. God, reveal yourself to each woman who is praying for an unsaved spouse and, and just give them glimpses of your hand at work. Even if there haven't been any up until this point, God, we just pray that you would remind them that you are close to them, that you are working and that your power is, is being unleashed through their faithful prayers and through their persistence and, and just willingness to continue becoming more and more like Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. Then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com slash journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show, and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him 
and change the world one prayer at a time.